Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown. Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. We're blowing out the entire show for Charles Robinson, senior investigative reporter for YahooSports.com. He's broken the huge stories in college football regarding improprieties at the University of Oregon and Ohio State with their football programs. We're going to talk to him about the CD landscape of college sports. That's going to take up our entire show this week. I want to remind you that next week we'll give you the latest with the NFL Collective Bargaining Agreement, Also, I'll be joined by Greg Shaheen. He's the NCAA Interim Executive Vice President of Championships and Alliances. He's basically the top dog in charge of running March Madness. That will be an interesting conversation. Follow me on Twitter, at SB Radio. You can always find us at sportsbusinessradio.com. Charles Robinson, yahoosports.com, coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR, back with more after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolster. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Charles Robinson. He's a senior investigative reporter for Yahoo Sports. Find him online at yahoosports.com. He's on Twitter at Windy City Scribe. He's joined us many times before. Charles, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for having me, Brian. You have been a busy, busy guy, you and the rest of your investigative team. You've uncovered, just in the last few weeks, stories of improprieties at the University of Oregon, at Ohio State. Uh, you guys have always been on top of these stories. The USC Reggie Bush story, obviously Oregon, Ohio State in the last few weeks. Can you give us some insight as to how you are able to uncover these stories? And I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm in Oregon, and a lot of people at Oregon are saying, well... Did the University of Texas leak out information or put Yahoo Sports on the right path with the Oregon story and the street agents because Oregon's pulling kids out of Texas? 
Can you uh, talk to us a little bit more about the uncovering of these stories? Sure. Um, you know, actually, I, I, I do know the, the, the rumor that, that uh, you are speaking about with the University of Texas. And, you know, I can say this very um, probably to the surprise of fans, we get very, very, very few tips from anyone inside of uh, athletic programs about other athletic programs. It, it, that is one uh, sort of brotherhood, one fraternity that has remained pretty solid. Now, I will say that, you know, when you are out there investigating, you're doing work, um, you know, coaches all kind of have a feeling about, um, you know, what's going on at other schools. But uh, the reality is there's a very large uh, sort of chasm between someone saying, hey, I suspect such and such is going on and really having any definitive proof whatsoever of something actually happening. The grapevine is long in, in the coaching world, I will say that. Um, I think the reason why you know, we've been able to break stories and really why you know, I, I think a lot of uh, investigative sports stories are broken nowadays, particularly concerning college athletics, is just because there are now so many people involved um, you know, in the recruitment process of athletes, uh, people who maintain relationships uh, through an athlete's career, um, you know, in, in the collegiate ranks. And frankly, those people, you know, like to talk, you know, the, the sort of, the, you know, some people refer to it as the underbelly, the underbelly of, of college basketball recruiting, the underbelly of college football recruiting. Um, there are simply more individuals uh, out there who are in the know now than ever before. And I, I will also say this, you know, social networking and the amount of information that is now shared on the internet through message boards, sites like Twitter, Foursquare, Facebook, um, have really brought a wealth of information to reporters that they have not necessarily had before. We're more connected now uh, and able to not only participate in conversations with key people, but, but even watch, uh, you know, per, uh, per, excuse me, uh, conversations take place between, you know, key people. Marvin Austin, you know, when, when we were working on UNC, that whole investigation at North Carolina, you know, Marvin Austin's Twitter account was a goldmine because Marvin Austin was on his Twitter account talking about a lot of things um, with other prospects that he probably shouldn't have been talking about in such a public forum. But yeah, information now is so much more readily available and the individuals holding it are so much more uh, readily available now. Uh, than ever before, and I think that aids all of us. You know, it's interesting. I do media training when I'm not hosting sports business radio, and it seems to me, just from the people I've worked with, that whether it's coaches or athletes, they're so uneducated on how social media works, and they think, hey, if I'm putting something on Facebook, only my friends see it, or if I'm putting something right. out there on Twitter, only my friends see it. And you're right. It is a wealth of knowledge. And, and like you said, the right message boards, the right blogs, they can definitely uh, unlock some doors. But you guys have done an amazing job with your investigative team. And I almost wonder, and you know, you might not even have a comment on this, but I look at an entity like ESPN and they're broadcasting the BCS National Championship and a lot of the BCS games. And I almost wonder, it's kind of like back in the day, if you remember the show Playmakers that was on their sure. network and it kind of portrayed the NFL in a negative light. And the NFL basically said, shut this down because this doesn't 
do well for our brand. And if you guys are our partner, then you're not going to air the show anymore and they shut it down. I guess the point I'm trying to make is I wonder how much ESPN can break these stories because in the end, it really does harm the product that they're carrying where you guys are in a position where you can really be investigative and roll up your sleeves. And I think people have turned to Yahoo Sports as the investigative unit in uncovering sports scandals. We definitely, I mean, there's no doubt we don't have the business ties that a lot of, um, you know, other network uh, news organizations do, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, Sportsline, whether it's, uh, you know, Fox, whether it's ESPN, obviously a lot of um, other news organizations have certain arms um, of, of, you know, on the business side that, that are attached to, you know, as you said, college football, you know, be it a professional league, whatever. But, you know, I'll say this. I mean, you know, ESPN uh, has definitely done their fair share of good work. I mean, you know, they were all over the O.J. Mayo situation at, at USC. I was very impressed with the import reporting that was done there. I mean, you know, uh, the Auburn investigation, you know, I, th- I thought ESPN did a lot of good work on Auburn. And, you know, I, I, I respect a lot of reporters there. There are definitely people there who have the chops to do great investigative reporting. Um, I think we've gotten a lot of attention for it because of the fact that, you know, it's we've kind of made that our forte. I mean, that is because we're a boutique outfit. I mean, we may be one sixth or one seventh the size of ESPN.com in terms of actual headcount. Um, you know, we have a stable of reporters who are very um, investigative minded. You know, Adrian Wojnarowski, I think, is one of the finest, you know, uh, reporters, as reporters and columnists that I've ever seen. But he's he can do some of the greatest. Uh, investigative work of anyone I've ever seen. I mean, he and Dan Wetzel, who is our national columnist, I mean, are very steeped in, um, they, they have a very uh, long background in, in investigative reporting. And obviously I worked with Dan on the, the Ohio State piece. And, you know, I, I think it's just all about the culture you create inside of your, your news organization. And the culture that we've sort of tried to create and foster over the years has been one of picking up that mantle of investigative reporting as unfortunately newspapers have had their budgets shortened and not been able to devote maybe as much of their financial budgets to really digging into to things like uh, you know these investigations. We're joined by Charles Robinson. He's the senior investigative reporter for Yahoo Sports. Find him on Twitter at Windy City Scribe. Boy, Charles, it's been a heck of a last 12 months or so for the NCAA. You had the whole USC Reggie Bush story, which you guys were on top of. There's a scandal involving players and agents at North Carolina. Obviously, we know about the Cam Newton Auburn story. And then stories that you've broken recently the Oregon story about a $25,000 payment to a scouting service run by some people with unsavory reputations as street agents, and then Ohio State. If you're the NCAA and you're Mark Emmert, and I've had Mark on this show, I think they've got one of their biggest challenges in front of them because I think they have to come down hard. If they don't, it's really kind of laying the path for the future for people to continue to repeat this behavior. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's no doubt. There's a lot of work out there to be done. And I think part of that, though, is is the fact that there are now so many people involved with, with prep athletes. You know, I, I think there's far more people involved with prep, prep athletes and even college athletes nowadays in the last 10 years than ever before. And I think it's because that's where the money is. I mean, the rise of, um, you know, sports agents as a high-profile job, the rise of, um, you know, a lot of these recruiting services, scouting services, there have been 
just an absolute array of, of, you know, a financial array of jobs that have opened up in the last 10 years, or at least I, I think kind of been created and discovered out of thin air um, by people who all of a sudden have recognized, hey, there's money in athletes from not just in the professional ranks, not just in the college ranks, but even when these kids are in, you know, in the prep ranks, there's still a way to make money, you know, in, in some way, shape or form with a connection to, to these kids. And, you know, so I think it, it's sort of been a natural process that has, has sort of um, created itself regardless of any of the work the NCAA, you know, is doing. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I don't think the NCAA could have stopped the proliferation of that because of, I think media's had a lot to do with it. I think it's a really complex issue. I think, you know, there are just so many different things that have fed into it. But, yeah, I think, you know, look, there's a huge, huge job uh, left ahead for, for the NCAA, and I think you're probably going to see as the NCAA goes along in the next decade They'll continue to react to that. I think you'll see the size of their enforcement staff grow. I think you'll probably see key members of their enforcement staff, you know, namely the people who are probably doing the best job for the NCAA. I think you'll probably see the pay scale begin to grow for those people because they're, you know, they're essentially look making their careers. They're doing a good job, so you want to retain those people. And then, you know, beyond that, I will say this: the one kind of uh, irony of the NCAA is the better job they do enforcing things the worse they look because the the better job they do going out and bringing cases to light, no matter what it is, you know, sanctioning programs, finding all these things that are going on and then, you know, uh, launching these investigations, the more high profile all those problems become. So everyone looks at it and says, wow, all this bad stuff, all these negative headlines, you know, in, in college sports over the last 12 months. Well, a lot of those are generated by the fact that the NCAA is out there working so hard trying to turn you know, uh, turn the tide. And, and so I, I think fans should always keep in perspective that just because there's a lot of headlines does not necessarily mean that the, that things are, are terrible for the NCAA it may actually mean that the NCAA is out there doing the work it's supposed to be doing rather than sitting back and saying, Hey, if we don't investigate anything, if we don't bring anything to light, then this stuff never shows up in the headlines unless reporters bring it to the headlines. Um, and, and people can think, Oh, well, the NCAA has more under control than it actually does. More of my conversation with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes, 
and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Now back to my conversation with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. Charles, let me ask you about compliance. So every athletic department has a compliance office, and the compliance people are hired by the athletic department and the university to kind of keep the athletic department within the proper guardrail, so to speak. Right. I, I think if it's really going to be effective, compliance directors in each university, in each athletic department, they need to be hired and report directly to the NCAA. I think reporting to your own athletic director is a conflict of interest. What do you think of that? No, I think that's absolutely right. I really do. I think uh, for compliance offices to exist within the university structure, which profits from sports programs that they're expected to police, it's, as you said, it's an inherent conflict. You Essentially, your bosses are there. And, and let's be honest here. I mean, you know, particularly the major sports uh, programs nowadays, the major athletic departments, they're corporations. That's what they are. And, and you know, l- let's be real here. You know, the, the, the Securities and Exchange Commission, you know, the SEC that oversees Wall Street, they don't work for Wall Street brokers. They are, you know, they're housed outside of, of brokerage firms, and they come in and they're the ones that, you know, they, they conduct all of their business separate, you know, as a separate entity from, you know, all these Wall Street firms, that's almost how compliance should be. I think compliance, you know, if, if uh, you know, people were serious in terms of the entire infrastructure of the NCAA, and I don't, remember, the NCAA is still made up of member institutions. It's still made up of college presidents. It's those presidents who have to step out and say, hey, you know what, it's probably not the best thing for our compliance departments to be under the purview of the athletic directors who at the end of the day are expected to make sure that they're producing the most that they can from a bottom line standpoint, producing money, winning games, keeping the profile of the university out there so we can continue to make more money, uh, you know, get more uh, donations from, from our alumni, all of these things. If you have a compliance department that, that is expected to you know, police that and potentially hurt the program, well, yeah, that's a conflict. So I, I don't see any problem. You know, I mean, obviously, I don't think it would be easy from a from a business standpoint. It would take a lot to to structure it properly. But yeah, I I would be I, I'm someone who thinks that if you remove compliance departments um, outside of of that university tree in terms of who they're being paid by, um, you know, I think it would be far better if they were independently acting uh, groups that do report to the NCAA. Which uh, to me, it makes more sense from a from the standpoint of actually uh, keeping your hands around any problems that may develop with a university. There were many things that were pathetic, yes, pathetic, about Ohio State's press conference this week with uh, Jim Tressel and President Gee from Ohio State. And he was asked, did you ever think about firing or removing Jim Tressel? And his quote was, no. Are you kidding me? I just hope the coach doesn't dismiss me. 
This is the president of a university. He's sitting in front of a coach who, as your story pointed out, has committed uh, improper actions. And that's how the president of a major university is reacting to that question. And to me, that was really alarming and, and quite stunning. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it was alarming to a lot of people because of the forum that it, you know, took place. And I mean, this is obviously a press conference where you've just, you know, and remember, these are just Ohio State sanctions. These aren't even ultimately what the NCAA is going to decide the sanctions are. Right. You to have the president of the university say, "Okay, we're all here today uh, to, you know, talk about the fact that Jim Trussell committed." You know, a 10-1 violation, a major NCAA infraction, which I think people should understand if the NCAA was going to create a Ten Commandments of their infractions, that's number one. That's at the top. That's what they consider the most serious, particularly for a coach. Now, you hold a press conference to say, our coach just committed this. We are suspending him for two games and fining him a quarter of a million dollars, and then to, in the midst of that, actually make – what ultimately was probably more of a flip, you know, flip remark or, you know, a, a tongue-in-cheek joke that, well, geez, I hope he just doesn't dismiss me. At the very, you know, least, you could say that's bad form. At the worst, you could say, yeah, it's alarming that, that you know, essentially you just had the CEO, the guy who's supposed to be the CEO of your university, essentially say, I'm more concerned about what he thinks about me than what I think about him. Let's talk about Ohio State for a minute. So Jim Trestle was tipped last April that some players might have sold memorabilia. I guess they sold this memorabilia in order to get more tattoos. That's really important. Uh, Jim Trestle didn't act on the information. He never let on that he knew. And then the players were caught in December. And the problem I really have with Trestle, Charles, is that he's one of these guys that's always put on this holier-than-thou attitude. You know, he's not a, a John Calipari or, you know, some of these other guys who just kind of, you know, they, they don't preach to you. They just do what they do. And, and right. you know, maybe there's some infractions taking place, but they don't come off with the holier than now attitude. And Trestle's always worn the sweater vest and come off as Mr. Rogers. And, you know, I, I just think he's such a hypocrite in this situation. And for him, like you say, to, to sit on this information is breaking one of the major Ten Commandments of the NCAA. Don't you think the NCAA has got to laugh at Ohio State saying, well, we're going to take two games, and I think they're against like Miami of Ohio and Toledo. I mean, it's not like they're playing Michigan or you know Florida or someone like that. And then $250,000, that amounts to essentially one-twelfth of his annual salary, which is, is nothing to him. The NCAA's got to come down harder than that, don't you think? Well, I think there's, there's no doubt that there's potential there for the NCAA to you know, react uh, in a significantly more harsh manner than, than Ohio State did. I mean, you look at the situation with Bruce Pearl at Tennessee – now, slightly different because Bruce Pearl, you know, the head basketball, men's head basketball coach, holds a barbecue at his house, you know, with, with recruits that he shouldn't, um, you know, lies about it, tells these, uh, essentially tells the recruits and their families to cover it up from the NCAA. Um, and, and then, you know, he gets nicked eight games, which is a quarter of his season, and I think $1.5 million over the length of his five-year contract, the remainder of his five-year contract, um, to me, uh, you have to ask yourself, how does the NCAA view what Jim Trestle did? Was it the same as Bruce Pearl? Because Bruce Pearl outright vocally lied. Well, did, 
did Jim Trussell lie by omission? And that's going to be a big question here, that, that phrase, lie by omission, because even Ohio State, when they filed their report, said very plainly Jim Trussell had three opportunities where he could have stepped forward and said, you know, this happened. And, you know, he never once took that opportunity, then played, you know, five student-athletes during the course of an entire 2010 season. And remember, they also played in the Sugar Bowl, so they really didn't sit out for anything. They played an entire season and a bowl game without Jim Trussell ever stepping forward and saying, you know, I was the guy, you know, I knew back in April I didn't do anything about this. And then I, I think what is even, you know, I guess from a, from a, a moral and an ethical standpoint, you know, people forget that he, you know, basically told these kids, look, either either you're coming back in 2011 uh, or you're not going to play in the in the, the Sugar Bowl. And when people asked him, why did you do that? Why did you tell them either you're going to come back next season or you're going to or you're not going to play in the Sugar Bowl? His response was, I wanted them to feel the consequences of their actions. You know, I didn't want them to escape punishment. And, you know, this is the same guy who essentially, by not saying anything, allowed them to escape punishment during the entire 2010 season. I thought there's a lot of irony to that. And, you know, I think the NCAA is definitely going to take that extremely serious. And this whole idea of did Jim Trussell not saying anything, was that a lie of omission? And, and will his whole confidentiality, um, which, which, you know, this whole statement of him about confidentiality, will that hold up? You know, this was his reason because, you know, it had to be confidential. It had to be confidential. We've seen in the days after that, you know, since then, since that press conference, that this idea of confidentiality seemed to really be constructed by Jim Trussell and no one else. If you look at what the NCAA did to USC with the whole Reggie Bush story, I know you're not a fortune teller or a gypsy, but you know if you're comparing these cases, I think what Ohio State has done is every bit as bad, if not worse, than what happened at USC, and, and USC got slapped pretty hard. Don't you think they have to do the same thing to Ohio State? Uh, you know, I think the, the difference between the two is that USC, and this does matter in NCAA investigations, USC fought, uh, fought the entire way, you know, denied, fought, you know, said that, that, that you know, um, basically fought against all the allegations in the football program all the way until the last day. I mean, you know, they never once relented and, and really, now they self-reported in basketball, but they never were willing to give an inch in football. And I think, frankly, that, that really complicated and hurt their case. Whereas Ohio State, you know, when Ohio State became aware that these players had done what they had done, um, you know, they, they acted on it, at least, you know, uh, the, the, the administration of Ohio State acted on it immediately and, you know, brought the NCAA in and suspended these players and then when the administration became aware of what Jim Trussell had done, you know, when they were auditing these files in January, and all of a sudden they find out that Jim Trussell had this prior knowledge, by acting on it and, and calling the NCAA in immediately, I think it shows the administration uh, is willing to be culpable in what happened in saying, hey, you know, this is wrong, this had to be taken care of. The second we found out about it, we made sure we brought you into the loop. Now, the one person who I think is outside of the boat um, in that scenario is Jim Tressel. Now, I think, you know, I think there's a possibility, and again, this is speculation on my part, and I'm only leaning on, you know, the knowledge that I have of the NCAA process. I think it's possible that, you know, the NCAA looks at Ohio State and says, well, as an institution, your administration acted the way it should have acted. However, Jim Tressel did not. So there's a possibility that Ohio State comes down far more, um, uh, far heavier on Jim Tressel as an individual 
than they do as the entire uh, than they do with the entire program. Even though, obviously, let's be real here, uh, Jim Trestle is considered the head of the entire football program. More of my conversation with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Really confused about the business side of sports? This is Sports Business Radio. Now back to my conversation with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. Find him online at yahoosports.com. He's on Twitter at Windy City Scribe. Just a few minutes left. Got to ask you about the University of Oregon story. That's an interesting one because, you know, basketball and the AAU circuit and the underbelly of basketball has always gotten the attention. But I think your story brings to light these seven-on-seven camps and and that there's kind of an AAU type of circuit in football as well. And you've got guys like Will Lyles and Baron Flannery that are out there. And, you know, for $25,000, I know you and anyone else that's looked – Oregon hasn't really been able to produce what they got for the $25,000 that they gave Will Lyles, and it's far more than than what other services are getting. Where do you go with that story? Well, you know, first off, I think that, as you said, the timeline is dubious around this case because you had a guy here who, in Will Lyles, who was for a long time known to be close to Lake Seastrunk, who's a running back in, in the state of Texas and who was nationally recruited, one of the most recruited running backs in the country at the time. And, you know, you, you sort of look at the timeline and things fall into place so quickly in terms of, you know, Lake Seastrunk visits Oregon. Um, you know, Will Lyle sets up this, this recruiting service for the first time. Lake Seastrunk verbals to Oregon, then he signs with Oregon, and then within – you know, a matter of days, Oregon ends up making this $25,000 payment to Will Lyles for a recruiting service that had only existed on paper for a grand total of three months. And as, you know, as everyone knows, um, that's far more. I, I don't think, as a matter of fact, I don't think I've been able to find a single football program uh, in history that has ever paid a recruiting service, any recruiting service, $25,000 in one single year, let alone one man who had just produced a recruiting service for the first time or founded his recruiting service for the first time three months prior. 
So again, that timeline's dubious. The amount of money involved is dubious. If anything, I think you know what this really does. It, it, it shows, um, as you said, a sort of AAU style uh, build up in college football that wasn't there before. There's sort of a grassroots movement in college football, or excuse me, in in college football recruiting, where you have a lot of these services and you have people running tournaments and. If you dial back, if you took your t- calendar and turned the clock back, you know, 10, 20 years, this goes back to the 90s where grassroots basketball began to flourish and became the biggest problem in college basketball, what was going on in those summer months with, with grassroots basketball. So to me, if not the Oregon, what Oregon did, if you were, to, if you were a fan and you're going to take away something bigger out of this, it's the fact that you're now seeing that grassroots basketball atmosphere being transferred over to football. And I can tell you, there's no doubt in my mind, the NCAA, this is their number one priority in college football is getting ahead of this as quickly as possible before it turns into that situation in basketball, which got so out of hand that it undermined a lot of college basketball teams over the years. Well, if you aren't intimately involved in this story and you just look at this on the surface and you do, you know, what many people call the sniff test. First of all, Will Lyles changes his website after your story comes out and the charge for the national package was $15,000 before the story came out. But then after the story comes out, it's $25,000, which magically matches up with the amount that that you had reported for Yahoo Sports. The other thing is this. Look, I'm based in Oregon. I think uh, University of Oregon has some fantastic facilities. They've obviously got you know some great uniforms, and there's a lot that's attractive about playing at the University of Oregon. They've played in the BCS championship game and the Rose Bowl the last two years. With that being said, I've always found it a little bit curious that some of these elite athletes from the state of Texas have decided, you know what, I'm going to little Eugene, Oregon to go play college football, and there's this pipeline of players from LaMichael James to Cliff Harris to others that have gone from Texas and left the home state to Eugene, Oregon. That also was a little curious to me, and, and you know, when the story came out, it, it seems to make a lot more sense now. Well, yeah, and it's any time that a school begins to recruit nationally, um, that puts more influence into the hands of as I said, some of these sort of uh, recruiting brokers, the people who are involved in uh, the recruiting services, the people who are involved in, as you said, this, you know, Baron Flannery's seven-on-seven off-season uh, AAU-style football camps, you know, football tournaments and whatnot. When, when schools start to stray far, far from their backyard, and there's no doubt that you, you can't get much further than Texas from, from Eugene, Oregon, um, all of a sudden, yeah, that's, that's uh, universities now have to start, uh, or at least coaches and football programs now have to start, um, you know, dealing with people in that region, you know, people who are, you know, close to the prep situation in states like Texas. So I think that's why Will Lyles was able to gain a foothold um, in terms of his influence. You know, he's a very influential guy. There's no doubt. You talk about Michael James. That's another guy who is close to Will Lyles. I mean, there's any number of, of elite college athletes. I mean, it's a long list. There's been quite a few guys who, you know, Will Lyles was able to gain a foothold uh, close to these guys because of the fact that, you know, he's in a region where he's, uh, you know, close to a lot of talent, and there are a lot of schools recruiting nationally who need someone uh, to sort of guide their recruiting efforts. And, and I think at the very least you can say there's no doubt that Will Lyles was was influential in in Oregon's uh, process of recruiting these guys because he was next to 
guys like LaMichael James, guys like Lake Seastrong. So, um, it, it, again, it raises a lot of red flags, and, and I think, frankly, that's why you're seeing the NCAA investigating um, you know, Oregon so closely where it concerned guys like Will, Will Lyles and Baron Flannery. What do you think the timeline is on the Oregon investigation? Wow, that's a, see, it's a difficult one because it's not, um, you know, you're talking about so many people who are spread out, you know, around the country. I mean, Baron Flannery, um, you know, dealt with, uh, when you just talk about the athletes who ended up at Oregon, um, you're talking about kids from all over the country. I mean, you know, Michigan, Texas, you know, I mean, uh, everywhere, Louisiana, and, you know, for the NCAA, that creates a, you know, that's a lot for your investigators to get their hands around. You have to do a lot of traveling, and it means you have to go to regions and spend a lot of time hitting up not only the athlete and their family, but also high school coaches, uh, anyone who is involved in the prep process, the prep recruiting process in that area. So it really slows down investigations. And, and beyond that, um, that's only if you're making a lot of headway. I mean, if the NCAA is coming up empty uh, and they want to continue an investigation, that in itself, you know, lengthens the process. I, I would tend to think that something like, you know, the Will Lyles, Baron Flannery investigation is probably a longer one than, than usual because when specific, when NCAA comes in, there are specific violations that they think occurred at the school. It's very centralized because everyone's there. You just go to the campus and you can get everyone very close to the campus. When it's a when it's a summer recruiting violation or something like that, it takes that centralization and it blows it up. It's everywhere, and and that just tends to drag things out. So I, I unfortunately I think for Oregon fans, this one's going to drag on for you know months if not longer. And and there's you know there's a chance that this drags really right into the season. Again, not to you're not a fortune teller, but where do you see this going? I mean, you know, one of the things that some sources at Oregon have said is, well, we gave uh, Will Lyles that twenty five thousand dollars, and we thought we were getting these services, but we weren't. Darn it! You know, we're never going to hire that guy again. What a disappointment! Do you think that flies with the NCAA, or do you think they say, you know what? Sorry, that excuse isn't going to work. You knew what you were doing, and there are going to be penalties to pay. Yeah, I don't think that flies with the NCAA. I don't think, you know, it's particularly when you pay $25,000 out of, and again, you know, this is just speculation on my part. I can't speak to what exactly goes through the minds of the NCAA, but I will say this. I know the process well enough, and I've studied previous cases well enough that, you know, when, when it's something like a $25,000 payment for services, the NCAA becomes very rigid when it, there's large amounts of money involved for services, because, you know, from the NCAA's vantage point, you should know in your program, hey, we're paying out a lot of money. We better know exactly what we're getting because, you know, in the business world, there are very few corporations. And again, I think you can treat Oregon at this stage like a, an athletic corporation. There are very few corporations who pay out $25,000 and don't have a very succinct idea exactly what they're getting for that $25,000. So the to have an excuse and say, well, geez, we really didn't get anything for that. We thought we were going to, um, particularly when there's a recruit who is, uh, you know, involved with this person who you're paying. Uh, I think the NCAA is going to have a very hard time believing that and that the burden of proof is really going to be on Oregon to show, uh, look, we had absolutely no idea that, that maybe we weren't getting the services that we paid for. And, and then to also show, look, this in no way, shape or form affected 
you know, the athlete who, who we eventually landed uh, in Lake Seastrunk who was close to, to Will Isles. So it's, you know, unless there is a lot of proof there for, for Oregon to prove, or excuse me, for Oregon to provide, um, it's really going to be put on them to, uh, you know, to navigate that and, and, and get themselves out of hot water with the NCAA. Well, and just like we talked earlier in the interview, how Jim Tressel is the CEO of Ohio State football, Chip Kelly is the CEO of Oregon football, and if a $25,000 payment is being made, you would think that Chip Kelly knows about that, right? Well, look, any coaching staff that that uh, purchases recruiting services, um, I will tell you this. I mean, they you know, you go around the country, and many major programs will pay anywhere between eight to ten thousand maybe even twelve thousand dollars to a single vendor in a year for for recruiting services and i can tell you this they know exactly what they're getting for those recruiting services they know if they're getting video they know the amount of video they're getting and you know it's it's not i know you know the some fans may have the um you know the proclivity to sit there and go well it's a really big program and they probably, you know, buy a lot of stuff from a lot of different services. How can you keep track of all of it? No, <laughs> coaches keep track of everything and, and particularly major level coaches, uh, major program coaches. They know what's going on in terms of um, what's being supplied to them when it comes to things like recruiting because they depend so heavily on those things uh, to be able to, to sort through, um, you know, the prospects that they want to they, they wanna go after. Fans got to know. Coaches take recruiting more seriously than, than almost any other aspect of, of what they do in a college football program. I think number one is developing the talent that you have and providing a good game plan. And number two is going and getting that talent consistently. So, yeah, they know the ins and outs of exactly what they're getting when it comes to recruiting services. Well, and this $25,000 wasn't handed over to Will Lyles on a street corner in a paper bag. This was right. put, this is a public university. This was a line item that you, me, anyone else could have gone on to a website and found out, okay, here's the payment that was made. Here's the budget item it was placed under. And, and you could see that that payment was made pretty public, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a line item in their expenditures, but I, I will say this, you know, I've heard some people say, well, you know, what university would ever do anything improper uh, with money that would end up in a line item expenditure? It wasn't easy to find. I mean, I don't want anybody to think that this is, you know, it was something that was listed under books, publications, and other references. And I can tell you from breaking down the, the expenditures in an athletic department, that's sort of an odd place, you know, to find a major expenditure. I mean, it, it's it's rare that you really will find, uh, you know, anything north of. I mean, when, when you go through those expenditures, let me put it this way: you, it's particularly ones that come out of the athletic department. It may be in the range of a few thousand dollars, you know, and, and you're starting to get on the high side with that. Twenty-five thousand dollars sticks out like an absolute sore thumb, um, you know. But I don't want fans, you know, I don't think it's fair for fans to just say, well the fact that they put it in the expenditures proves that, you know, this thing was entirely on the up and up. No, I, I don't think that's the case. I think all it proves is that's, you know, this, this is where the payment came out of, and they're going to have to explain whether or not this payment was proper. Fantastic stuff from Charles Robinson, senior investigative reporter for Yahoo Sports. Find him online at yahoosports.com. He's on Twitter at Windy City Scribe. He is breaking stories almost every week, he and his investigative team at Yahoo Sports. Charles, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for having me, Brian. Call me anytime. Thanks. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the Japanese people, all the people affected this week by the tsunami and earthquake in Japan. Terrible situation there. They're in our thoughts. I want to remind you, Greg Shaheen, NCAA Interim Executive Vice President of Championships and Alliances, top dog with the NCAA, man responsible for running March Madness. He's going to join me on the show next week. Also, we'll bring you the latest with the NFL collective bargaining agreement. A lot of thank yous on the show this week. Our guest, Charles Robinson, YahooSports.com. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Patrick O'Neill, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes icon on the front page of SportsBusinessRadio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd appreciate it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at... SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one on one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for
for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.